faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your presence, God, that there's not enough answers in the world, Lord, or programs, God, or philosophies, Lord, that can fix our issues, God, that there's Jesus Christ and Christ alone who brings healing, Lord, who brings hope, God, who brings restoration to our lives, Father, and I thank you, Lord, that we can sit in your presence, God, and it's better than one day in your court or one day in your house than a thousand um, anywhere else, God, that you and your presence, Father, is where we belong Lord, and so I just pray, God, that your spirit would be here this morning, Father, your, your word would encourage us, your spirit would encourage us, God, and that, that Jesus Christ would be here this morning, Father, that's why we would be here, Lord, and that's why um, we would stay, Father, it's because of you, Lord, because of what you're doing, and in Jesus' name, we pray and believe these things, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thanks for joining us this morning at Eusis. My name's Luke, and for those of you guys who don't know me, and we appreciate you guys taking time. You guys can be anywhere else, but you came to come hang out with us. We appreciate that. Um, so we are continuing the book of Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Going the wrong way. Um, we'll be in verses 4 through 5. And the title of today's sermon is The Simplicity of One. And I am so grateful, I am so thankful for what Christ has done and the simplicity of what he's done. That there's so many things in our culture and in our community that's so complex. There's all these steps that... 10-step thing to be have peace or, or to find happiness, whatever it is. But Christ has made things very simple. And I was looking at this scripture and really struggling with what to preach on because he says there's one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's like six of the biggest points in the scripture all in two verses. And so we could do a sermon series individually on each one of those points. But what God really highlighted to me was the word one that he uses over and over and over and the consistency and the simplicity of who Christ is. He's very deep. It's not that he's simple as in we understand it in one sentence. His, his ways are above our ways, but who he is and what he's done and what he's called us to do, that part is simple. And once we step into that, there is depth to who he is and what he's doing. And I don't know if anybody here is an indecisive decision maker. Um, I know me and Sarah have that conversation, picking somewhere to eat or whatever it is. Um, there is 30,000 options, and you, you go around in circles, and eventually you've got to pick one. And this last week, have you guys been to Stuffed, the burger place down um, downtown? But anyways, it's a good burger place, and there's 100 options. And there's different burgers, different things you can put on your burgers. You can mix and match, whatever it is. And it took us, me, Jake, and Ryan were there. It took us like 45 minutes to pick what burger we wanted because there's all these different options. But back home, there's a burger place called Scotty's, and there's a um, hamburger, cheeseburger, and a double bacon cheeseburger. And those are like basically your three options. And so you go, it's not that hard to pick something because it's pretty simple. There's not a bunch of options. And Christ, he hasn't made things complicated. He hasn't made things where we've got to go read a thousand self-help books and go study for 10 years before we can do something. That Christ has made it very simple is as we take simple acts of faith and simple obediences that he begins to deepen and deepen us in our knowledge and in our love of him. He made it very simple from the fact that he said, if you wish to follow me, deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. That being a disciple of Christ, he laid out very simply. He didn't say we had to go um, through a training school, whatever it is, but he laid out his condition of what it means um, to follow him as his disciple. He made it simple that we're saved by grace through faith. It wasn't, again, a very complicated thing, but by what Christ has done, we're saved by grace through faith. And Jesus proved all this by living a perfect life, dying and rising from the dead. And he made that statement of who he was simply by his power and by fulfilling all the prophecies of the Messiah. 
One of my favorite scriptures is of the simplicity of, of who Christ is, is the narrow gate in Matthew 7, 13-14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. There are so many things not only the world is telling us, but even the Christian culture is telling us. And there's all these different things that get thrown out. There, there's a wide gate. And then there's a wide path, but there's not. That Jesus made it really simple. That not only is there a narrow gate, but then there's a difficult path. That Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. But then after that, there's a difficult path, and that's specific of what it means to follow Christ. And that, you know, I was at a coffee shop, and I don't want to be nitpicky, but it, it stuck out to me. There was all these prices on this, on this board of different coffees. And at the bottom corner, it said, but love is free. I was just thinking, man, love is not free. Love is not free. Jesus gave his life in, in, in the sake of love. When you love somebody, it's not free. Like you, have to, you have to sacrifice for those people and vice versa. There's so many cliche t-shirts and stickers and bumper stickers that get thrown out that we see day in and day out. But how much truth are we seeing? Because Christ is simple and his truth is simple. And there's so many things that our world throws at us that can complicate things and get us stuck on, on other ways of thinking. But even what, what our Christian world can throw at us. I saw um, a sign the other day for a church that said, we are a church for people who don't like church. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't necessarily sound what, what Christ is telling us the church is. Like Christ tells us the church is his, bo the, his body and tells us it's his bride. I don't think we want to say we're a church that's not the bride. I mean, it, Christ has made things simple, and oftentimes we start to make things so complicated in the sake of being relevant or the sake of fitting in. I want to touch a little bit on the early Christians. It was really interesting that in, in 100 to 200 AD, the Christian church got labeled as atheists. That there was a bunch of pagan religions, there was a bunch of different things that the Roman culture at the time was following. But the Christians was the only group that said there was one way. They were the only group that wouldn't partake in the, the pagan festivals, the only group that wouldn't offer sacrifices. They were the only group that was, that was stuck on one thing. Other people may have had their God of preference that, that they liked to sacrifice to or whatever it was. But they would also kind of dip and, and take from different different pots or different um, parts of the pile. But the Christians were labeled atheists because the Romans said they didn't believe in our gods. They believed in this man and this king, Jesus Christ. And they got labeled as atheists and they were so separate from their culture because of the simplicity of what they believed. They believed Christ rose from the dead. They believed that he was God. They believed that he was king. And their life demonstrated that as if they didn't partake in the other parts of the culture. They partook only in what Christ had called them to do. And as a result, they got ostracized. And what's crazy is during this time, Rome was executing so many Christians. There was a period of time where they were lighting up the streets of Rome with crucified Christians that they were um, lighting on fire. And that this mass persecution, not only did it not shake the Christian church, but they were growing rapidly. And this guy named um, Tertullian, he was an early church father about 190 AD. But this is, quote, he writes this letter and sends this to the Roman authorities. He says, the more we are mowed down by you, the more numerous we grow, the blood of Christians is seen. And we get the, the term, um, I'm, I'm losing the phrase now, but they say that like the blood of, of martyrs is, is like the seed of the church. We kind of hear that every once in a while today in our culture. And that actually came from this guy way back 190 AD. And my point with this isn't to come up with a crazy radical quote, but the point is, is the Christians 
were so set just on prize that they saw themselves in this team. They saw themselves together. And the simplicity of obeying him superseded any persecution, any separation, or any or being ostracized from the community the way they were because of the simplicity and the narrow gate. They knew there was one way, and they weren't going to get off this gate and get off this path even in the face of martyrdom. But instead, he actually writes this to Rome, and he just says, man, what you're doing is having the opposite effect because what Christ has done is grounded us so deep in his truth, there's nothing that can shake us. And when we go back to the title of this sermon, The Simplicity of one. The road to Christ is simple, but it is sacrificial. It's the road to the Christ is simple, but it is costly. And I think oftentimes in our Christian culture, we can come up with programs, we can come up with all these different things that complicate things to, to just get our eyes off of the simple, costly obedience of what it means to follow Christ. We can start to talk about so many things of how to do this and how to do this and how to do that. But the simple fact of if you wish to follow me, you'll deny yourself and pick up your cross, that was simple. And that's the front door. That's where we start in following Christ. And we can't get, get off track by complicating things so much, but by coming to the basis of who Christ, <clears throat> who Christ is. So I want to look at the scripture today um, with that intro, and that is Ephesians 4, 4 through 5, which reads, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith and one baptism. We've talked about in Ephesians as we've gone through that chapter 1 talks about us being called out as a church. Chapter 2 talks about us being family. Chapter 3 talks about the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the church. Now chapter 4 is talking about us being a team. And when you think about a team, you've got to have one vision. You've got to have one purpose. When you're a basketball team, it'd be really sad if half the basketball team thought you guys were playing water polo. You wouldn't get very far if that's why they had come. They came for a purpose. They came to play basketball in the same way. There's, there's one body. There's only one body of Christ. There's one spirit. There's one hope of our calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And when we talk about a team, we've got to come around one purpose. We've got to come around one vision in order to truly be a team in Christ, which is what chapter 4 is about. And to bring this, this all in, I think one scripture that really um, encapsulates what we're talking about is 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches and the saints. God's clear. And when we're, when we're confused, that's not coming from him. That God is not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. And when I say simple, I don't mean like dumbed down. I just mean simple and straightforward. That again, there's endless depths to who Christ is. But, but we can't miss his depths by making it complicated. We'll find his depths by coming to the simplicity of what his gospel says. That 1 Corinthians Paul says that God has cho chosen to use the foolish things of the world to put down the wise. That God didn't use the great philosophers of the world, but he used um, the foolish. And even those who were great philosophers like Paul became foolish. They became poor. They became homeless. They became beaten on behalf of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one thing that really stuck out to me in just praying about this aspect of being simple but having depth was uh, when I went to, to college to play football, um, I ended up playing receiver, and at the end of the day, being a receiver in football, the most important thing is running fast and catching the ball. That's basically all you're doing. You're running fast, get open, catch the ball. It's super simple. When I got to, co to college, I just found there was depth to that. There was ways to get off the ball. There was ways to catch the ball. There was ways to run routes. There was ways to have your footwork and all these things that the, the position itself was very deep. But at the end of the day, what am I doing? I'm running fast. I'm catching the ball. 
And the same way Christ, and we can study the word, it's great. And there is depths to, to the ministry that, that um, Paul talks about. It's a mystery. It has to be revealed by God that it's so far beyond our comprehension. But the way to start to follow him is so simple. That Jesus says if you'll um, deny yourself and pick up your cross, that we can be his disciples. And so when we look at this scripture, I want to highlight real quick, because like I said, we could do a year series on the body of Christ. We could do a year series on baptism. We could, we could pick this scripture apart for the next five years if we wanted to. So we're going to highlight real quick and just show how simple each one of these things is. But then the depth, if you guys want to study this on your own time, you could study each one of these endlessly and continue to know more about who Christ is and what he has for us. That's that revelation, that richness. And that's the thing about Christ is he won't force us to go deep with him. If we want to stick on the surface, we can. But Christ has so much. He says the hidden riches, the endless riches that are in Christ. And if we would take these truths and look at what they are on the surface and begin to be a part of those truths in obedience and in faith and in studying the word in revelation, he will continue to show us more and more about his character. So the first thing we're going to talk about is there is one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18 says this. I'm sorry this is a little bit small, but if you guys want to open your Bible, you can get it there too. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, am I, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And then there's a whole section, if we jump down to verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually. So when he says there's one body, what's he talking about? He's talking about us, that every single person who is a disciple of Christ, we are part of the body of Christ. Whether we really want to or not. If we don't want to, it's kind of like he's saying, you're a hand that cut, cut yourself off and puts yourself in the corner. A hand laying on the ground doesn't do much good. But a hand connected to the body is really, really, really valuable. And a hand trying to be a foot doesn't do very good. Or a foot trying to be an eye won't do very good. But yet when we are individually brought together to corporately be the body of Christ, that's what he's talking about. There's one body. Now there's a local body, the Jesus Christ Fellowship, but worldwide there is one body of Christ. And we look at all the denominations and divisions and things we've been okay with, and they're just not okay. That Christ has really called us to be one body. Now... That is what the body of Christ is. It's us individually brought corporately. But what are we called to do? Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 is part of our foundational scripture. And it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, to the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, a scripture we could dive into for, for months, but I just want to look at what's the purpose of the body? To come to measure the stature of the fullness of Christ. That the purpose of the body of Christ is that we would make the manifold wisdom of God known by individually coming together and corporately demonstrating who the fullness of who Christ is. That's, that's what the body is. And so when, when in Ephesians 4, when it says there is one body, that's what he's talking about. Now that's pretty intriguing to me. And so that's something that, that together and individually we should continue to dive into. What does it really look like? What does it mean to become the measure of the stature of the fullness of who Jesus is? And so just on the surface, there's a lot there, but just on the surface, what is the body? Individually coming together corporately for what purpose? To demonstrate the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. Next aspect of the scripture, it says there is one spirit. Romans 8.11 says, 
But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There is just one spirit. And when we look at Jesus, it says that the spirit of Christ is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I pray this is encouraging, but there's not like the spirit Jesus had and then the spirit like maybe Peter had and then the spirit that Martin Luther had and then now we've got the spirit we have. There's only one spirit that's been from the beginning of time, the spirit that hovered over the waters that helped create the foundations of the world, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the spirit that fell on Pentecost, and the spirit that is in every believer right now. There's just one of them, and he's everywhere, but there's just one spirit of God, and do we believe that? Do we believe that we have the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead in us? If Jesus, if this spirit can raise Christ from the dead, can this spirit give us the boldness to share the gospel with our neighbor? I think so. I mean, when we look at the, what's available in the in the this Holy Spirit, we've got to realize there's just one. We can't trick ourselves that the Spirit's changed or the Spirit's different today. But there's one Holy Spirit. And in 2 Peter 1, 20-21, says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. One topic I feel like that always gets brought up if someone first steps into your church is, one of the questions I get most would be what is your guys' stance on the gifts of the Spirit? Or what is your guys' stance on the Holy Spirit? And one thing I think is so interesting about that is the same Holy Spirit that has the gifts of the Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that wrote the Bible. How did the Bible come into being? Is the Holy Spirit filled then? And through the Holy Spirit, the Bible was written. He's, Paul didn't write the Bible. God wrote the Bible. Paul was the penman, but, but the Holy Spirit filled Paul in to write down what God wanted him to write down. And so the same Spirit that wrote the Bible, why would he contradict himself over on how the gifts of the Spirit are done and how they're not done? That the same, that the Spirit over here and the Spirit of the Word, they're not going to contradict each other. They're actually going to support each other. And so when we look at there's one, there's only one Spirit. There's one Spirit that rose Christ from the dead. There's one Spirit that's in us. And there's only one Spirit that's moving among us, the same Spirit that wrote the Word and the same Spirit that will demonstrate the power of God. So if the Spirit we're seeing around us isn't matching the Spirit we're seeing in the Word, man, we should, we should take a look at that. We should really pray into what is God doing. So we've got one body, and we've got one Spirit. And again, there's a million things this Holy Spirit can do, and we can study more and more on that. But on the surface, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that wrote the Bible and has, is now our teacher and our guide. We're going to come back to hope later, but now it says there's one Lord. Luke 14, 26 through 27 and 33 says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly, also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. For the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, when the scripture says there's one Lord, Lordship, it means Lordship. And, and we are in a um, community and in a culture that we've never experienced what it's like to be under a king or really be under a dictator. Now, Jesus isn't a dictator as far as he's going to use and hurt us, 
But the aspect of Jesus being king, it really means he's king. Like, we talked about the early church. The reason they didn't bow down to Rome is because they knew what it was like to be under a king. Because they'd been under Rome. And so when Christ became their king, they treated Christ like they had treated Caesar, or whoever it was. That there was complete lordship, complete, complete surrender. It wasn't an if, and, or but, or I'll take what I want and I'll leave what I don't. It was either all or nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying here back in Luke 14, 26 through 27. He's not saying that we have to have animosity for our family. He's just saying our family can hold no value in comparison to who Jesus Christ is as our Lord. And, and, you know, growing up, I actually heard this a lot. There was a kind of a priority list. You got faith, you got family, you got football, whatever it was. There was this priority list that you kind of had. What Jesus is saying here is lordship means there's no priority list. He is our priority. There's one Lord. There's one priority. And if that comes against our family, man, it hurts. But he is the priority. There's no other priority. And that's what lordship means. And so when he says there's one Lord, he really means that every knee will bow. We can bow now. Romans says that his goodness and kindness leads us to repentance. That by his goodness and kindness, we can bow to Christ now. But when Christ comes back, there won't be that, that um, period of grace anymore. That Christ will come back as king. And we can bow now, or we can bow later. But Christ is Lord, either way, there is only one Lord. Next um, aspect of the scripture says there is one faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think I use this scripture every week, but it's just a really good one. Uh, there's only one faith. There's only one faith. If we want to walk by faith and not by sight, it doesn't mean my opinion, my dad's opinion, God's opinion, and my friend's opinion all in one thing. There's only one thing. Do we come to God and believe he is who he says he is? And if we do that, do we believe that he'll reward us as we diligently seek him? That it's not the things that we see, but it's the things that are unseen. There's only one type of faith. And it's not a mixed bag of us and him. Um, but you look at throughout all of Scripture, God, he hates compromise. He, he's never been a God of compromising. And this type of faith, is the, there's only one, one true faith. If, if it's a mixed bag, it's not really faith. And there's only one faith that Christ responds to. Now, I skipped over hope, and that's what we're going to hit um, to kind of wrap up this sermon. Uh, we talked about one body, one spirit, one Lord, and one faith. And I pray what we see over that more than anything, even if we don't remember every single point, is just, again, it's just simple. God didn't say there's one faith and there's one that's better, than, or there's ten faiths and there's one that's better than the other, and I'm just going to let you guys decide. He's made it really simple and just asked us to surrender to what he says about faith and not what we think about faith or any one of those issues. But the reason why I wanted to hit hope last is I think there's, if there's anything in a culture that has everything, like America does, I just believe we lack hope, and, and biblical hope. Not just hope that things will get better or our circumstances will change, but what does the Bible say about hope? And it, it's really the most encouraging thing ever. First Timothy 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Who is our hope? What is our hope? It's just the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about answered prayers. It's not about whether things are good or bad, whether we have money or don't have money. But our hope is simply Jesus Christ. Now, if Christ gave you himself by grace and by faith as a gift, what can take Christ from us? Nothing. 
And so our hope should be unsnatchable, it should be untakeable, it should be unshakable. That it should just be in the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord. That's where our hope comes from. It really comes from two things. It comes from one, Christ in us. In Colossians 1.27 it says, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us is both a mystery and it's our hope of glory. That it's not just Christ is around us or by us or over us. He's those things too, but he's literally in us. And we, we talk about this a lot in Jesus, but um, John 17, 3, where he says, this is eternal life that you may know me. That Christ didn't just come to be around us, but he came to literally be inside of us. And, and to have that type of intimacy that's us in him and him in us. Romans 5, 5 says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why does hope not disappoint? Because Jesus is our hope. It's not about what Jesus even can do for us. But he himself, he is our hope, and he will never disappoint us. If we're hoping in Christ to hope that our circumstances change, that can be disappointing. Because he doesn't promise us our circumstances will always change. But he promises to always be with us in our circumstances. He always promises to be in us in our circumstances, that this type of hope does not disappoint. And when we have this type of hope, the love of God is poured out in our hearts. It's not just dripped in our hearts, but it's poured out. The love of Christ is poured into our hearts in an abundant fashion. By what? By the Holy Spirit who is given us, the one Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. Final one here, I think. Nope, two more. Uh, Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about any of you, but who wants to be filled with all joy and all peace and faith and believing and that we would abound in hope, overflow in hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit? I believe that's something that everybody here wants, but that hope comes not from what we're wanting God to do for us, but that hope comes from who Jesus Christ is and by Him being in us. And the great thing about hope is Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. That if we lack intimacy with Christ, or if we lack stability with Christ, I really believe we lack hope, true biblical hope. Because this, this scripture tells us that we have hope as an anchor for our soul. What does an anchor do? That if the waves are coming crazy, that the boat is swaying, but it's not moving, it's not, it's not going to get cast away to sea. That it may have some turbulence, but the anchor holds the, the boat um, firm. And that if we're being tossed to and fro, we're up and we're down, we're scourged and we're happy, is hope the anchor for our soul? Are we anchored in the fact that Jesus Christ himself alone is our hope? And the cool thing, and it says hope is sure and steadfast, but it enters the presence behind the veil. What is the presence behind the veil? That in the Old Testament, the presence behind the veil is the Holy of Holies, the place where the most intimate place there could ever be with Jesus Christ. That the presence behind the veil is entering in intimacy with Christ in a way that we never have. That, that we enter in the holies of holies by who Jesus Christ is and by our hope. Amen. So we look at this overall. I know it's a lot of information, but at the end of the day, the, the point isn't all the information. The point is the simplicity of each one of these things. That there's one body, and the body of Christ is our support. It's our team. There's one spirit, and that's our power to live a godly life. There's one Lord. He's our king. He's our father. He's our friend. There's one faith. That's the demonstration 
of who we are in Christ. It's a demonstration of what Jesus is doing. The only way we can demonstrate what we believe, or what we confess to believe, is by faith. And our hope, which is our anchor. That we don't have to be tossed to and fro. We don't have to be happy and depressed and sad and everything in between. But we can be, we can be consistent because of the hope that's in Christ and the anchor that is for our soul. The last scripture we're going to look at um, to wrap us up is I, I know for me, and, and the Lord was getting at me in some areas that I'm definitely weak um, in these ones and areas that I need to um, cut out some of the complications and come back to the simplicity of what these things are and, and have him reveal his depth um, to me. But the last part in the scripture says one baptism. Baptism has become a very cultural thing um, in church. But I don't, he's not really talking about physical baptism. Physical baptism is a, represent, a representation of what Christ has always meant baptism to be. In Romans chapter 6, 3 through 4, it says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Man, I want so badly, I just, I ran into just conversation after conversation of how badly the body of Christ, the church of Christ needs to be the body of Christ. Like, there's just so much hurt, there's so much deprivation in, in, our, in our society and our culture, and, and the only answer, the only answer is Jesus Christ, but God isn't just going to snap his fingers. He told us that, that the body of Christ is going to be his vessel, that he's going to use us um, to affect this community and affect this city. But the only way that we can enter into the body, to the spirit, to the Lord, to faith, and into hope is by being crucified with Christ. That again, it's, it's not this complex thing of, man, this is a lot of information. I'm going to go study and weigh and see if I think this is better than the last thing I heard. That the only way to really step into this life of Christ is to be crucified with him. Jesus offered his life in order for us to be a part of this. Why do we think it would ever cost us less than it cost him? It cost him everything. In the same way, it'll cost us everything. But look, what, I mean, we get him in return. It's not, it's not like we're getting short on the stick here. We're, we're losing our life to be crucified with him. That's not easy. I mean, crucifixions were painful. It won't be a, a um, painless thing, you know. This, this guy I always listens to, he always talks about, we all want a painless Pentecost. We want a Pentecost without prison, without persecution, without all these things. We're not going to get that. That Pentecost came by men who suffered. That Pentecost came by, by Christ who, who was crucified on our behalf. But the great news is, as what does it finish with? That we should also walk in the newness of his life. That the crucifixion with Christ isn't the aspect of suffering and dying. The aspect of, we're going to go through that to be perfected in him, but at the end, that we would walk in the newness of life, that we'd be able to walk in Christ's likeness together. Um, we got one more scripture, but as we close, um, we're going to have communion uh, today here on the left, on the right side. If we want to get ready for offering and um, for our worship crew to start making their way um, to the front. And we look at being one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Again, topics that we could talk about for a really long time. But I just pray what we can take from this morning.
is that Christ is simple, but it is costly. That Christ, these things, they have so much depth to them. But the only way we can get to the depth is to go through the simplicity of the cross, to go through the simplicity of being crucified with him. And I think it's put great in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As we, as we enter into communion, I just pray that, that we, would, we would reconcile this, this fact of, of being um, crucified with Christ and where our heart is at with, um, are we a mixed back or, or are we willing um, for Christ to pull away the flesh and pull away those things that are still in us that we can experience what biblical hope is, that we can experience what the body of Christ is really meant to be. And so um, I'm going to pray for us as we enter into communion. You guys are obviously welcome to pray and do that however you like. I'd just like to pray for us before um, we enter into this. Um, Father God, Lord, we thank you for being able to remember what you've done on the cross. Lord, be able to remember the sacrifice that you've poured out to, to us. Lord, that it says that he who knew no sin became sin, that we could become the righteousness of God, Lord. And your body um, that was broken is represented by, by this bread, Father. That we would remember, God, that your body um, being broken and suffering the way you did paved the way for us to know you. Lord, that the blood that was spilt Jesus, we would be taken in remembrance of you, Lord, of the atonement, God, of the complete covering of our sin, Lord, that we can enter into the presence of God the veil by grace through faith, by what you've done for us, Lord. So I pray, God, that as we take this bread, we take this cup, Lord, that we remember, Father, what you've done, Lord, and, and your depth and the gravity, Lord, and the joy and the power of what Christ accomplished on the cross, Lord, would, be, would just be instilled in us. Lord, so I pray that you'll bless this communion, Lord, you'll bless all our time on your prayer um, this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray and believe. You guys are welcome to uh, come down, take communion, and we'll bring us back in a second um, as Jamie leads us. Come in
finish and continue to um, pray and have your time with the Lord. If anybody has um, a word, we always like to open that up. But if God's just been placing something on you um, during this time, that you would um, just pray about that. If the Lord releases you to do that, that you would come up and, and say um, a little something here before we close. So I'm going to give everybody a little bit more time. Um, if the Lord puts anything on you as you finish communion, um, but I'll, I'll wrap it up here in a little bit. Well, hello, church. How you doing? Praise the Lord. God's great. You know, this has been on my heart because I talked talk to Luke about it this morning. Because uh, the Lord laid this on my heart to say, you can catch a fish with a hook, but with a net, you can catch a bunch of So with that church or with that net that God wants us to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. Now, each one, reach one. Every time you have an opportunity to just say hello to somebody, or say something kind to them. A lot of people, that touches their heart. Some people, maybe it doesn't. But I can tell you the majority of people want you to say, Hi, how you doing? How's your day going? What's life been like? And you're able to share that message of hope with them. That message of faith. That message of love. You're able to share those things with them. For me, that made a big impact on that message that you gave me today. Because I can understand that I have to go out. I need to. No one's going to force you, but you know, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. I, I'm trying to tell myself, what is wrong with me? The love of God is inside of me. And that love of God reaches people. It touches their heart. It draws them in. Yeah. When the love of God, you know, when, when Jesus Christ is raised up in your life, he will draw all men unto himself. Mm -hmm. He'll draw them to you. He'll draw them to you. So I share that with you. Each one, reach one. But how do you reach them? By the simple message that, that Luke just gave. Simplicity in Christ. And I know we make it difficult because who wants to hear about God today? Well, they, whether you want to believe this or not, the world wants to hear about Jesus. They want to know about salvation. Right. So I share that with you because, you know, how, how I love the fact that I went on a little journey there for a few months and God brought me back because he was trying to show me what's going on within our own communities. And I've had to let you know that God just wants to reach souls out there. They're just yeah. getting close. Time's getting close. And we are eventually going to be before him. So we stand before him and say, hey, God, I just want to be pleasing to you. So be pleasing to God. Each one reach one. And eventually the whole church goes after, throw the net after, and we catch many fish. Praise God. Have you gone fishing today? Have you gone fishing? That's, what, that's a question that was given to me in Luke this morning. Tony, have you gone fishing? Luke, have you gone fishing? Praise the Lord. Let's go fishing. Let's throw the net after. Amen. Alright, put your hands together. God's great. He's good. He answers God. He's Amen. Thanks, Tony. Um, that will be our benediction. That was a good one. Um, I, I'll pray for us as we leave. And, and yeah, if, if within all of this we talk about simplicity, but we want to pray about simplicity, find somebody to pray about that this morning. That we can pray that God will bring us back to the simplicity of the gospel. Father God, Lord, we thank you for, for all that you're doing, Lord. We thank you for um, but the word that you've just given to him, God, that the love of Christ, God, we would have great boldness because of the hope and the love that we have in you. Jesus, so I pray, God, that you give us direction, that you would um, simplify it for us, Lord, that we just come to the foot of the cross, Lord, and, and know you intimately. And in Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Yeah. I hope you guys have a good week. Looking forward to see you soon.